Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models Episode 6. I'm Steve Kwan. Hey guys, I'm Matt Kwan. I think Matt may be... After doing six episodes, we should start thinking about whether we need an intro for this. <laughs> yeah, maybe it would uh, make it a little bit more professional. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, well, in addition to just having like a kind of like a sound bumper or something, it might be a good idea if we've got people joining the later episodes who didn't listen to the earlier ones to maybe have like a 10 second pitch or something at the beginning that just explains what this should be. I mean, yeah. how, how would you pitch this show, Matt? And if you've got 10 seconds, how would you say this in one sentence? What is this all about? <laughs> uh, and we did not talk about this beforehand. It's called winging it. Yeah. BJJ Mental Models, your guide for conceptual, intelligent BJJ approach. That was actually really good. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> At least should, we're, if we can't, we can't make it, we're going to fake it anyways. Yeah, guys. I should wing things more often. Uh, Perfect. Okay, so today's episode is a slight detour from what we talked about prior. We spent the first five episodes talking about the mechanical aspects of jiu-jitsu. And, you know, this is actually the way that most people teach jiu-jitsu. They start off and they teach you about the different mechanics, although hopefully we've been able to talk about them at a higher level than you're used to experiencing in class. What we want to do now is pivot a bit to some of the other things that are just as important as the mechanical aspects of jiu-jitsu. There's a lot of psychological and social topics that are um, not only more important in some ways than the mechanical stuff, but also probably easier to talk about in audio form anyway. Yeah, so today we'd like to talk about gym culture and etiquette. Yeah, and I, I actually don't know if one episode is going to be enough for this. Um, we haven't talked in detail about exactly what material we want to cover here. Uh, I think we're just going to kind of wing it from our own experience, but these are topics that Number one, we've wanted to talk about for a long time, and we wanted to put some thought into how we could package this up. And number two, a lot of the questions and comments and feedback that we got from people led us to the road down, uh, that this might be something that we want to tackle. You know, there's, there are a lot of people asking about what exactly, you know, should you do in the situation? What should you not do in the situation? And we thought it would be good to have just a high level discussion about what, what does it mean to be a jujitsu, uh, training partner? You know, what are not only how should you behave, but what should you expect from a school if you're new? What are your obligations to your partner? What are your obligations to the school? What are your school's obligations to you? Now, this is a conversation. <clears throat> That touches on a lot of mental models that are more social in nature than mechanical. But a lot of this stuff is also maybe just going to boil down to just good advice for when you go into the situation. And of course, the answer changes too, depending on what your level of experience is, right? If you're, maybe that's a good way that we can lead off this conversation, Matt, is kind of talk about the different stages of, of experience in jujitsu and what you're, what you should expect and be prepared to deliver at each of those levels. Yeah, when, when you're new to a jiu-jitsu school, you're not exactly sure how you should conduct yourself, how other people are going to treat you. Um, it's very intimidating, as we all know, when we first stepped into a school, uh, we didn't know what to expect. But um, essentially, you want to treat people how you would treat people in life. And un unfortunately, I feel like today, uh, nowadays, people are kind of lacking some of those common sense aspects of uh, interaction between people. Um, as a gym owner... I try to take responsibility for, you know, I try to take ownership for things that go on in the gym, even if it's not my fault. It's, it's important to recognize that, hey, it is up to you, the gym owner and, and instructor to set the tone for, you know, things going on in classes. Are, are people treating each other with respect? Are they are the higher ranks rolling with lower ranks? Um, essentially, if you if you're brand new, uh, you know, people need to treat you. I mean, I 
obviously with respect, but it's almost like you're being introduced to something completely brand new. And people need to realize that, uh, you know, we were all in that position at one point and it's very intimidating. So um, important for for the higher ranks and, and for people that have been there for a little while to be welcoming, be friendly, of course, be, you know, uh, on their best behavior and also uh, good hygiene. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of topics there to unpack, and I think maybe we can start with the first one you mentioned, which is uh, the the old do unto others principle. Uh, you know, when you want to talk about mental models, the most famous mental model that everyone knows, even if you've never heard of mental models, you've heard of the golden rule, right? Which, you know, depending on how you want to phrase it, basically it tells you treat other people the way that you would want to be treated. It's a fundamental principle of many, many, many religious texts, as well as in philosophy. It's uh, actually, it's called the ethic of reciprocity, because when you want to get fancy, you need to give everything a really complicated name. (laughs) But the the golden rule is probably the single most important mental model you can ever learn. And if you learn that one thing and you apply that to everything you do in life, you're probably going to be a pretty decent person. And this is so important in jiu-jitsu because the, you know, day one, when you, it takes a lot of mental courage to decide that you're going to go to a place where people are going to try to choke you unconscious, right? Like, yeah. it, I, think, break I think, you. I, th- I think that for those of us who have been doing this for a long time, you kind of lose touch as to, you know, how weird and intimidating that is. And you, you forget once you've been doing it for a while, but it, it's hard. And, in a lot of ways, the white belts are the most important people at the gym. They're, they represent the next generation, and they're also the litmus test as to how good your club is, right? You know, it's you if you've got someone there who's like a brown or a black belt, and they've been training with you for eight years, they're, they're going to be pretty comfortable there, and they're going to be probably be pretty decent. But white belts are your measuring stick, right? If a white belt comes in, and they feel brand new, they've never trained before, and from day one, they feel welcome, and they love the art, and they love the people they're training with, and they're learning quickly, that's a better reflection for you on you as a coach than anything else. I totally agree. And you know, you can tell if you've been training for uh, about a decade, like we have, you meet people, they begin their journey as white belts, like we all do. And then they come into the gym. And, uh, you know, five years later, they're completely different people. They've Mm -hmm. opened up, they've gained confidence, they're, you know, generally in better physical condition, they go through these dramatic changes. um, And and most of them are are highly positive, especially in jujitsu. And and like you said, that it's a it's a, re- a reflection of of the gym itself and also as the he- uh, for the head instructor so um you know if you're if you're a blue belt it's it's an investment to produce white belts that are respectful that uh you know aren't so-called spazzy that are really uh good training partners that learn the the core concepts so that they can give you be- more uh better training. And also as an instructor, it's really important because these students are eventually going to go out into tournaments and possibly visit other gyms. They're going to be a reflection of you as a person, the standards that you set within the gym and also the the gym culture that you have. So like you said, white belts are are definitely some of the most important people that will be a part of your school. And probably they're going to outnumber the higher ranks for sure. Yeah. And as a gym owner, it's important actually that they outnumber the higher ranks because that those are the people who ultimately fund the gym, right? Um, um, it's that's why it's so important to treat these people with respect. And I mean, I I remember when I first started training jujitsu. You know, it, it didn't bother me at the time, but in retrospect, now it actually kind of does. At the school that I started out at, um, you know, all of the white belts kind of hung out together, and all of the purple pluses all hung out together, and they were like two just just completely different clubs. Like I didn't even speak to a purple belt until I was like well into my blue belt. You were probably a bit intimidated too, because you, you know. Well, there, yeah, of course. There, right? seems, there seems to be a. Uh... Like some gyms seem to have the, this thing where if you're a white belt, you can't ask other high ranks to roll. This is actually a really common way of thought. Yeah, it's um, a dangerous way of thought too. It's like, it's just, it's the yeah. wrong way to think about jujitsu. What it does is it sets the tone in the practice room that you're on a, a different level, not just in terms of skill, but in terms of status. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, we all want respect. We all want to be validated for our hard work and, and, you know, we want to be treated well. So it's like, like you said, do to others what you want. Uh, done unto you and in this situation treating people that they're you know uh that they that they need to earn the right to even have a conversation with you because you're a higher belt is not the healthiest way to set a a a good environment a good training atmosphere in the gym do you want to be in a gym that's stuffy where there's there's 
cliques and there's divide or do you want to be in a gym where the higher ranks go and talk to the lower belts and, and aren't afraid to help out? Because essentially what for myself as a gym owner, what I what I want is I want to have students that are willing to not just be come good at jujitsu and become good people on and off the mats, but be able to pass on the knowledge and become good instructors to people uh, of all ranks. And, you know, we always say that white belts shouldn't, I'm not saying that a white belt should go and teach, teach moves necessarily, but uh, definitely helping other white belts and being willing to learn the concept so that one day they can become, uh, you know, competent instructors. Yeah. And you know, the thing is too, um, when, when I was a white belt, you know, I looked at these people who had, you know, belts with all of these fancy collars and I thought, man, these people basically have superpowers. But once you get up to that level, you realize yeah. <laughs> all, all that having like a purple or a brown or a black belt means is that you've been pretty bad at jujitsu for a very long time. That's right. <laughs> you, you know, it, you've had enough time to work some of the bugs out, but it doesn't mean you're some sort of like Zen master at it, right? Um, the And I think that having this mentality that, you know, all of these people are on another level for me, it's dangerous for both parties. Uh, the reality is even a very experienced grappler can learn something from a, a completely inexperienced grappler, Absolutely. right? I mean, there have been times in the in the very, very recent past where I was training with a white belt and they pointed something out to me and it was actually quite helpful. And I could have shut them down. I could have been like, look at my belt color, shut up, dude. But I, you know, I listen because a lot of the time they're right. You know, the, the I heard this explained very, very well recently. Um, you might know more than me, right? It's possible that you might know more than me, but one thing that's for certain is that the two of us together know more than either of us individually. So even if someone has a very limited experience, don't discount the knowledge that they actually have and understand that that person is an investment in the future of your club and your training, right? Quality white belts now are going to become very, very challenging training partners for you in the future who are gonna really force you to up your game if you can convince them to stay. Um, I mean, I remember when I started jujitsu on the first day, I was training with this super friendly blue belt guy named Frank. Don't know where he is now. Barely ever saw him again. I, he just happened to be there that one day. But he was so friendly and so accommodating. He made like a permanent impression on me, right? And if if Frank were just a, a jerk to me, I don't know if I'd still be doing jujitsu, right? Like your, your day one experience is tremendously important. So as a senior member of a gym, it's critical that you go out of your way to be welcoming to these people, introduce yourself to these people, spar with these people, teach these people. And if you are the junior guy coming in, this is a good smell test for whether you're at a good gym or not, right? If you are if you walk into a gym for the first time and people won't even talk to you because of your belt color, you probably want to keep Googling and looking for somewhere else to train. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you bring up an interesting point in terms of beginners looking for different gyms to train at. Uh, I know for me... When I was first looking at gyms, I, I did get lucky and, and the gym that I first trained at had a, a lot of really good guys, which uh, eventually most of them left and started their own gyms or or uh, just did their own thing. And, and the culture of the gym fell apart drastically from that point on when I joined. Um yeah, and, and, and a lot of gyms go through that where there's at, at some point in people's growth, there's just a big exodus, right? I've, I've seen this at different gyms as well. Yeah, and, and, and it's, 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 it's like a ba- basically an ecosystem where the gym has to, uh, it has to be sustainable and, you know, the people coming in are constantly being welcomed. People are always improving and helping each other get to new levels and uh, are just friendly to each other. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's really important that uh, not, not just like you said, for a training partner to put investment into a lower rank to have better training in the future, but for a higher rank or, or for a gym owner, you know, pe- people, you want these people to stick around. Uh, for me as a gym owner, I, I want people to stick around in my gym. I don't want them to leave. And I don't want to use, uh, you know, quote, cheesy tactics, marketing tactics to try and get people to stay or contracts. I want people to want to stay. I only want you to pay me if you want to train. I, mm-hmm. If you don't want to train at my gym, I don't want you locked into a contract and then, you know, I'm taking your money and I don't know who you are. Um, it, it's, it's when you start to get on that level of authenticity and that's all you care about is quality and helping people out, you start to create an atmosphere where people only you only get good people, you know, and, and, the, and the weak people are the people that are, are uh, you know, not that are more negative don't stick around too long. And that is kind of what you want. You want quality in your, in your, you know, 
in the business world, we call them leads. Mm -hmm. You want quality leads to come in and you want them to stick around. How do you do that? Well, you set the atmosphere for a friendly environment. It's safe to train with, you know, that it's not just everyone's going crazy on each other, trying to kill each other. And uh, of course there has to be good instruction. Yeah. And you know, you kind of touched there on the flip side of this equation, you know, on one hand, it's the responsibility of the senior people in the school, particularly the instructor or the owner. It's their responsibility to create that welcoming environment, but it's also their responsibility to defend that welcoming environment, right? There there will always be situations where you encounter a mat bully or someone who just has a toxic or negative attitude. And as the senior person who's driving that team, it's your responsibility to eliminate that negative variable. And that a lot of the time can be a harder thing to do than to create the positivity in the first place, right? You know, it's, it's very, very, one of the things I learned, um, you know, from, from the work world is you can have a great culture and a great team and all it takes is one person with a toxic attitude to wreck the whole thing. Yeah, it's so, contagious. Yeah, to, you know, attitude is contagious, whether it be positive or negative. And it, but man, it seems to me that negative attitude spreads a lot faster. So it's all the more reason why you need to really clamp down on that as soon as you see it. Yeah, it's it's good to have an atmosphere where where training partners are pushing each other and picking each other up and you know beating each other down, but in a healthy way, not not to feed their own ego, but to to lift the other person up. When you have a tra- a training partner, and I, I remember this one incident, the first gym that I trained at. You know, I was rolling with this guy, we're rolling hard, and uh, I actually he was he was going really hard on me, and he's you know grinding his elbow into my head and all these things. I'm like, okay, so I I <laughs> he went in for a single, and I. Jumped jump triangled him he, he he threw me to the ground after i triangled him and i finished the triangle and you know landing with such impact wasn't comfortable and then after he you know there's a kickboxing class after and he said oh i can't wait to spar with you in kickboxing i'm like oh this guy wants to actually hurt me <laughs> yes. like this is not what i signed up for and um and that type of thing where you're where you're up when you're one upping someone, it's almost, I mean, you know, no offense to the strikers out there, but that is something that you see a lot in boxing gyms and Muay Thai gyms where guys are, you know, it escalates quickly. And jujitsu is a brilliant art because it should be able to be trained. And even if someone is beating someone, it shouldn't escalate to the point where ego gets involved. And I think because there's no strikes that is kind of more uh, naturally manifested. But definitely when you have an atmosphere like that where guys are getting angry because they're losing or, you know, someone in the gym happens to be a higher level than them and they take it personally, this is something that we got to look out for and we got to we got to nip it in the butt right away before it gets out of hand. So so here's what I love about this conversation. This is a conversation where we can talk about mental models that apply to everything, right? When we're talking about mechanical models, we're talking about like how to choke people, you know? But what we're talking about now are mental models that are universal across most of your life. Um, how to treat people and how to, yeah, yeah. How to interact socially in a yeah. way where you will gain respect and not be uh, less respected. Yeah. So I, I'm actually going to bring up uh, a mental model that comes from the business world. I, I believe, and I, I apologize if I'm misciting this because I'm kind of trying to pull this out of my memory. I believe it was Google who popularized this. They have a they have a mental model that they call psychological safety. Um, and this, this sounds like like some like, you know, like, uh, you know, really, really like snowflake type word where it sounds like, oh, we want to create a safe psychological space. But that's really what it, what it means is when you have an environment where you're trying to share ideas and you're trying to kind of have a team that works and collaborates together, you need to create an environment where people are not afraid to be themselves and, and express themselves. And this is especially important when you're dealing with white belts, right? In the software world, this is important because if you create an environment where, you know, your engineers are afraid to speak up, then you're not using those very expensive brains, right? You're not using those resources because they're intimidated to speak up to more senior people. It's the same thing in jujitsu, where if you create an environment where you've created almost a class discrepancy between white belts and everyone else, um, you're going to deny both parties the ability to really learn from the other. Another mental model, and this is actually also super important in business, is the concept of self-competition. So the idea here is the true measuring stick of of your performance should not be what the guy next to you is doing or what the guy across the street is doing. It should be who you were yesterday. That's the best 
best measuring stick. If you try to measure yourself against someone else's performance, like, you know, if you're, if you're going into the gym and your goal is to tap Jim, you know, I'm going to, I hate Jim. He always gets me. I'm going to get him today. Um, if you start getting competitive like that, first of all, the gym is not the best place to be doing that. Uh, that's, that's more for tournaments, but even so you will always come in from a better psychological standpoint if your focus is on improving yourself. Um, you see this with companies too. Companies who are obsessed with what their competitors are doing, they are doomed to be in second place to that person because their whole goal is to kind of catch up to somebody else. If your only goal is to look at who you were yesterday and be better than that and to disregard all thought of what other people are doing, you know, you still want to kind of pay attention because you want to learn from them. But if you're only using yourself as a, as a measuring stick of your quality and you're not using someone else as a measuring stick of your quality, you're going to wind up in a way better place, both from your performance and from your mindset. Such a great point, Steve. Like, uh, like being the gym owner, I, I've, I've basically adopted what much of what we're talking about, like an open door policy where students can basically approach me and I want to be an approachable guy. I want to be likable and I want to be respected, but I don't want to, to gain that through status. I want to gain that through, uh, by being a good person and and having people want to share those feelings with me and wanting to train with me. And, uh, when you, when you say things like that, it's like, I have people coming up to me and say, Oh my God, like, you know, like your white, your white belts are really good. Like I came to this school as a blue belt or I came to school is a purple belt and I don't feel like I'm just not getting better or whatever. And I, I'm just, I can't even deal with these white belts and I feel like I'm getting worse. It's like, you know what, if you, if you compare yourself to someone else, then it's very difficult to find positivity in it. If, if, you, if you're a purple uh, or a blue and you're losing to a white belt, you know, you, it's not necessarily the healthiest comparison like you're talking about. Um, like you said, comparing yourself to the, to the person you were yesterday that's the goal. And, and for me having, you know, we've had long journeys in jujitsu and me being a competitor. It's like, if I compare myself to a guy like half a Mendez, you're, you're never going to be happy with yourself. Yeah. I'm never, I'm never going to be as good as half a Mendez. And, and I, even if you were, even if you got to the point where you were that good, you're still stifling your own growth because instead of focusing on what you can do, you're looking across the lane to the other guy, right? Like no one ever wins a race. If they're only looking at the guy beside them, you got to be looking ahead. That's right. And, and we got to realize that we're all good at different things. You know, just because you, you know, this guy always passes your guard or this guy always arm bars you instead of thinking, man, like this guy's better than me. Why can't I beat this guy? Think, oh, he's passing my guard. What does that mean? Well, a logical solution is where is he winning the guard passing battle? Is he, is he going right from the, you know, is he cartwheel passing me or when we touch, touch hands or is he getting into deep in my half guard and then he starts uh, denying me the ability to frame and then he gets chest to chest connection. Now, before I know it, he's in the second phase of guard and he's about to pass. Well, there's a problem that I'm having in the engagement phase. I'm losing a grip battle. I need to logically look at solutions with realistic goals rather than just say, oh, I'm never going to get better or oh, I'm, I just feel like I'm I'm not progressing, right? Like I like to say at my school, there's, you know, if you plateau, if you plateau, it's, it's a, it's a choice. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Think of one thing you can do better every day. Think of one thing that you, you think of one thing you do good. Think of one thing you can do better and then try to identify a solution that will help you reach that goal. Because just saying that you suck is not constructive, but to actually identify problems in your game from a logical point of view and then come up with solutions. And, you know, one of the things is not being afraid to ask people, Yeah, asking questions and having a gym where anyone can ask anyone questions and not feel like an idiot is an extremely healthy thing yeah. and promotes uh, growth. It promotes, it, not only does it promote a transparency and a vulnerability from the person asking the question, but it promotes uh, an environment where people want to ask questions and when they're not afraid to ask questions. And that's where you're going to get, yeah. you know, the most learning going on. Yeah. And that, that's, that's psychological safety, right? You're creating an environment where people are not afraid afraid to express ideas or feelings for fear of being punished or treated differently. You want everyone to be open with this stuff. And I mean, to your point, Matt, you know, pro tip, if someone is beating you every single time with the same move, easiest way to figure out the solution is to ask that person what yeah. they did and how they're doing it, yeah. right? Let's let's work on it together, right? Let's not look at it as a competition because when you go to the gym, it's not a competition. It's mm-hmm. These are your training partners, right? If, yeah. if it's a competition every time you go to the gym, you're probably not going to have a lot of fun doing jujitsu, right? If What is a competition to you then? Because for me, when I go to the gym, I want to go there to get better at myself and to help other people to get better. 
I don't want to go there to beat everyone. Mm -hmm. If that happens, great, you know, but, but I'm more interested in how can I help other people as an instructor and how can I make myself better today than I was yesterday? I don't go in there saying, okay, I'm going to tap everyone out, right? If I start putting that kind of pressure on myself and I'm, I'm an instructor who's afraid to tap or afraid to get my guard passed, it's going to suck being an instructor doing jujitsu, right? You're going to put these, these pressures on you with, the, with a, an ego that just, um, it, it, it can never be satisfied. And that's something that, uh, you know, it's not a, in terms of longevity, it's not the healthiest way to approach a sport like jujitsu, which is so humbling. Yeah. I, and you know, you want, you also want to go out of your way to reduce or, uh, de, de-strengthen your ego. You know, if some, if you're one of those people who is just always humble, that's awesome. But most people always have that ego in, in the back of their mind. And you have to take proactive action to control it a lot of the time. And one, one of the best ways to do that is to be, to be inquisitive about what other people are doing in their game. I mean, a lot of the time, I will stop people much more junior than me and kind of ask them what they're doing and, and how they're doing it and, and why they're working. You know, I've, I train with m- people much more junior to me who have really, really cool little tricks in their game or they're doing something that I haven't seen before. And I, I want to stop them and ask them about it because that gives me an opportunity to learn. And it also emboldens them because if, you know, if a black belt isn't afraid to come up to you and ask you for some advice, man, that's an incredible feeling if you're a white belt or a blue belt or even a purple belt, right? Oh, absolutely. Like I, I have, uh, you know, I have white belts that are, you know, we learn leg locks from a, uh, from white belt. We, and heel hooks included. Uh, we, we don't have a stigma at our school where, where heel hooks are, are super dangerous and no one can do them. No, I, I try to, I try to encourage stuff like that to my youngest ranks. And that doesn't mean that we don't focus on fundamentals like guard retention and whatnot, but just so that everyone knows what's expected and, you know, how you can essentially stay safe. And when one of my white belts comes up and asks me or shows me something, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm liking this. What do you think of this? That essentially takes uh, it takes your gym to a, a point where you're, it's a laboratory. Mm-hmm. When people can have free thought and free ideas, that is where the growth happens. Uh, you are not just because you're wearing a black belt around your waist. It doesn't mean that you are a uh, almighty being who's all all knowledgeable and and you you're superior to your students. I'm, you know, it, as an instructor and and as a practitioner, dealing with your ego. It, even if you feel like you said you're like you're the most humble guy ever you know you're humble it's still a struggle every day naturally as he, as human beings we have egos mm-hmm. so it's important to always check yourself and say hey like you know this guy this guy came up to me and he says i like this or or i'm doing something a certain way well let's talk about that let's maybe i can learn something from you and i can give you feedback maybe maybe i can say you know, this is good for this reason or, or not good for that reason. Either way, hopefully we can both gain something from this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's a term I saw somewhere. I I don't remember the name of the guy who came up with it. He was a, he was a scientist, I think. Um, but he described it as idea communism, which has nothing to do with the political system. But basically what he what his what he was saying was you will always have a better exchange of knowledge and better results if people are free with sharing their ideas, right? So when when he brought this up, he was talking about like science labs, right? He was basically saying, hey, we want our lab to be sharing the results of our research with all of the other labs around us because then we can all build on top of each other's knowledge. And it's funny because in jujitsu, in the early days, we saw the exact same thing, right? You know, in the early days of jujitsu, everyone was doing secret techniques and, you know, you right. weren't even allowed to go and train at other gyms because you, they would, they would learn what your game is and all oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a trade secret in, in the gym. And as a result, I think everyone is, you know, probably aware you go back and you look at, you know, like seventies, eighties, even nineties era jujitsu, and it was garbage by today's standards, right? Secret techniques don't work. If, if your game is good and, and what you're doing is sound you should be freely able to share that. And because other people are also doing the same, if everyone does that, the quality of jujitsu across the board goes up. Um, you see this actually, I mean, I keep bringing up software as an example because this is my background, but in software, you have this uh, concept called open source. And that's basically where people give away their software in the code for free. 
So the idea is, uh, um, well, not necessarily for free, but they give away they give away the code, so everyone can learn how you built what you built. So if you've got a good idea in there, someone else can take that and they can take it to the next level. And then if they make their code free, then someone else can take that to the next level as well. And by doing that, it dramatically accelerates the quality of software over time because everyone has all of their cards on the table. And jujitsu is exactly the same way. Jujitsu is exactly the same way, especially now with all the technology with YouTube uh, and all the instructionals coming out and of course competition and the sport just evolving literally by the day. We're seeing new things every day. Um, there's no more secrets anymore, right? And, and if there are secrets, uh, I generally find that they can be solved through the posture structure based concepts with frames and levers and whatnot that we've talked about in the previous episodes. But, um, you know, a prime example of this is Marcelo Garcia. This guy, super ahead of his time, uh, about, you know, 10-ish years ago, really making his mark in ADCCs and whatnot. This guy, uh, he would film everything he'd do in the, in the gym, all, you know, his roles and all of his classes. And then he'd put it up on Marcelo Garcia online for his subscribers. And he would just say, Hey, you know what? Like, I'm going to show you my competition, everything I'm doing, and I'm still going to win at the highest level because I'm the best at it. Right. And when you have that level of confidence, uh, in, in your craft, that, that is just, that's everything that I want to be. Right. So, so I'm, when I have a student that says, Hey, like I trained at this gym on the weekend or whatever, the last thing that that my reaction should be is jealousy or uh, like ter- a feeling of territorial, uh, you know, like I've been betrayed or something like that. And this mm-hmm. is a very old school way of thought. Um, I'm happy that my students go train other places because I'm that confident in my instruction and my product. And if your product is good, you know, you don't have to worry about other pe- people leaving your gym. Uh, nowadays, with with all the resources out there, there really is no secrets. And if there are secrets, eventually, if you have a good trained eye and good people around you, you're going to be able to uh, reproduce them. Yeah, generally speaking, if your gym refuses to let you train anywhere else, find another gym. Similarly, if your gym asks for, expects, or demands loyalty, find another gym, right? Like this or is- honor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if your gym is kind of acting like this is some like super duper secret, top secret cult type thing, you're not, not only are you not in a good gym, but you're also not going to get the most out of the martial art, right? The um, <clears throat> when, it, when it comes to secret techniques, you find out very quickly that these actually don't work, right? If your whole game is based on having a trick that other people just haven't seen before, the problem is eventually they're going to see that trick and then it's never going to work again. Sound fundamentals and sound strategy always be like one-off tricks, right? Yeah, and also it, for all you beginners out there that maybe are thinking about trying jiu-jitsu or you know, you're at a you're at a club and you've only trained at one club and you you don't really know what's right. I recommend that you, you know, you shop around a little bit and you don't need to go to the first gym that you uh, that you visit. You don't need to go to sign up to a gym because there's Gracie in the name. Uh, mm-hmm. No offense to anyone who trains at GB or Carlson or anything like that. It's just that, uh, you know, this is a free market and um, you have the right to train where you want. And People should, uh, I, I've said this before, people should look at your jiu-jitsu training as an apprenticeship because time put in doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, uh, results. And mm-hmm. it comes down to instruction. It comes down to training partners. And it comes down to mindset, a big part of its mindset. Mindset, concepts, it all, it all comes down to that. So, so when you're new to a gym... I recommend you you visit 5, 10, even 15, as many gyms as you can. So, I mean, not only do you want to uh, to see what's out there, but you do want to create relationships. Um, one of the first... One of the, the first gym that I went to had a very closed door policy. Uh, they didn't condemn you training at other gyms, although eventually they did, and that was the reason why I left, but um, they didn't encourage cross-training, right? And... Uh, <clears throat> and that is that is unfortunate because what people what happens is people go in and they get the feeling that well this is clearly the best place to train my instructor doesn't want me to train anywhere else okay and you and eventually you start drinking the Kool-Aid and you think okay well this is this is kind of how every gym is i guess but yeah. but when you don't have a connected network in jiu-jitsu and you're not aware of the other gyms in your community um you you don't gain as much and after I left that gym and, and moved to a gym called Burnaby BJJ, I was introduced to a whole network of, of people, a whole community in Vancouver that did jujitsu. And I realized like, wow, there's, 
there's amazing people out there. There's people that I've never met before, all different types of games, all different approaches, really friendly, awesome people. Like I realized that, hey, like I'm so lucky to live in a place where this community really does, even though we're all different teams, it feels like one team. Mm -hmm. Even though we go to local tournaments and compete against each other or whatever, we represent each other when we go to an international tournament. And, you know, when I, when I go to an international tournament and there's someone from the gym across the street, I cheer for that person. I help him prepare. Um, and that is, that's something that's special. And I feel like not, not all cities have that. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. When, you know, when you look at those videos online of those like crazy, like no touch martial arts, where you see this like master sensei and he's like knocking people out with mind bullets, you know, he's got like 50 people running, all of his students are running at him and he like glares at them and they pass out. And you, you think to yourself, (laughs) how could all of these people collectively delude themselves into thinking this works? Well, Matt, you kind of just described it, right? Because if you create a gym and you've got everyone convinced that this is the best gym, we've got the best techniques, they're super duper top secret, this is the place to be, but you can't go and train anywhere else because, you know, that's a violation of loyalty and you can't show them our stuff. You create this filter bubble where you kind of feed into your own beliefs beliefs, and over decades and decades, this that's what you wind up with. You, you wind up with this watered down martial art that doesn't work anymore because nobody's testing it in, in real life, right? Like no one, no one is actually putting it to a, a, a rigorous test. So that's one of the reasons why it's so important to um, go out there and, and try to expose yourself to other people's games, challenge yourself against other people's games, even if you're not competing, right? You always want to know what other people are doing just so that you can can learn from them from them and they can learn from you and that that idea communism is so important when it comes to advancing the art like it seems to me matt and you tell me if i'm wrong but it seems to me that in like the last 10 years jujitsu has developed at like an exponential pace compared to where it was before now that that might just be my bias but i think a lot of that comes down to the fact that now people are putting stuff on youtube there's social media there's instructional videos, competitions are all recorded and put on YouTube. And when there's that much information out there, it's so easy to test other people's ideas and test your principles against other people's. And that allows all of us to elevate our game. Absolutely. I think that just hammers home what we've been talking about in this conversation. And for all you uh, new guys out there that are still shopping around for gyms, just recognize that like, you know, not all instructors are are created equal. Not they're not every just because you're a good uh, you know you train with someone who's good at jujitsu, it doesn't mean that they're uh, a good instructor, right? Yeah. It, it's it's very different to be able to to be a good instructor. And and my professor Rob, he, he says, you know. Teaching, it, it, you're, you're essentially creating a performance, a presentation, right? You have to be able to keep people's attention, uh, but not say too much. You need to be able to relay the information efficiently and uh, and and correctly, uh, but but not overstep your your instruction to the point where you lose people and where you know it's not a pleasurable experience. It should be fun. It should be uh, almost short and sweet, and it should be effective. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of gyms out there that that kind of put the, you know, the money making aspect ahead of the actual art of jujitsu. And I'm fortunate enough to be training under Rob because he's a true um, he's a true example that you can have a successful school based around standards and based around maintaining the integrity of the art rather than making it uh, making as much money as you can. And when you're new to a jiu-jitsu, you might not even realize that. You walk into a gym and you don't know what to look for. You don't know you don't know what what is effective. You don't know what is a good training partner or a safe atmosphere, and you don't know if your instru- what your instructor's intentions are, right? And that's why I say shop around because eventually if you sh- if, if you visit enough schools, you start to see with your own eyes. You know, believe believe what you see when you go to these gyms. And then, you know, I, hopefully you can make the best decision for you depending on what your needs are. Yeah. And the, the other thing, too, is that it when it comes to finding an instructor, there's more than just the person being a, a good instructor. The relationship between the teacher and the student is, is very personal in a lot of ways. And just because someone is a good teacher, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right teacher for you or that they're the right teacher for you right now. You know, everyone goes through different phases of growth. Everyone has different ways of looking at things. And it could, you know, you could find someone who's a great teacher, but maybe they're just not exactly what you need right now. And this is this is something that a lot of senior people encounter at some point where they've been training at the same place for years and years and years and years, and they know their instructor is good. But maybe 
the road that they're going on is taking them in a different direction and they're no longer maximizing the benefit from that instructor. And sometimes you have to move on and that really shouldn't be um, an area of conflict or something. It shouldn't be anything personal. That's just part of the journey of learning, right? Your, your mentor might change over time. And so a big part of it is recognizing that your relationship with, with your mentor and the, the, the match of styles is often more important than whether that person is just good on paper. Like I, I've had, I've had instructors before where I, I can tell they're a phenomenal instructor, but for whatever reason, I know that it's just not the right fit for me, either because, um, uh, you know, they're teaching at a, at a different level or it, with a different uh, strategy than, than I, I am used to or that works for me, or perhaps it's just that the particular type of game that they like isn't really the kind of game that I want to get out of jiu-jitsu for, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes two people just do or don't resonate together. So, You've got to understand that that relationship actually is really important because if you can find an instructor that you really click with, you're going to get way more out of jiu-jitsu than you would otherwise. Absolutely. And and from the instructor's point of view, um, I haven't had this happen yet, although I fully know that it will happen, is, you know, you're going to you're going to have new students come in. It's going to be a journey. They're going to be with you for years. You're going to show them all your your best moves and all your, you know, all your systems and stuff. And then one day they're going to come to you and they're going to say, hey, I want to do jujitsu for a living. I'm thinking about opening up my own gym. This would mean I'd have to leave, you know, whether or not they choose to affiliate or represent with you is really their choice. It's not yours as the instructor. Um, and, and it's up to you to be, to let that person go essentially. And, and it's, it's sad when you think about it. Um, because as an instructor, you put so much into someone, you invest someone in so much and, and share them your best stuff. And then, you know, one day they say, Hey, like, you know, I, I'm thinking about doing this because I love it so much. I want to open my own school and do my own thing. And you realize as the instructor, wow, this person, you're not going to see them as much anymore because they're going to be taking on their own responsibilities as an instructor. And your reaction shouldn't be envious. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, spiteful because someone maybe wants to do their own thing. But, you know, it's, it's like what they say. If you love something, let it go. And it's important to, to have that foresight and that maturity to say, you know what? Like, that's I'm happy for you. And that is something that I'm happy for you for doing. And, you know, that's what I did. I started my own school. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. So, Definitely being able to let go of someone when they need to go is uh, it shows a, a level of maturity of an instructor, not only as an instructor, but as a good friend and mentor as well. Yeah. And this should be something that you celebrate too, not something that is a, is a sad moment or something that makes you angry, right? If you have a, if you have an abundance of, uh, or a mindset of abundance, right? And you realize that this is not a zero sum game, you know, the art is still growing. There's enough room for everyone. You shouldn't be intimidated or threatened or angry or, or feel betrayed if one of your students wants to take their game to the the next level and, and open their own gym. You should feel flattered and honored that one of your students was able to get that far with your tutelage and that you've you've made an indelible contribution to the art at that point because you've created students that are now creating other students. Like what what more can you ask for if you want to talk about contributing to the art? You and should... to and to their sorry to cut you off, but also to their personal life. Like if if you do that, if someone comes into your gym as a, you know, a software engineer or a chef, and then you show them jujitsu, and then they decide they want to make a career change and dedicate their life to jujitsu, that is an honor that you've influenced them in such a way that they want to change the purpose of their, of their, uh, their working life to dedicate their art their They love jujitsu so much. It's almost a tribute to you. Yeah, there was, um, I remember listening to, I think it was Hori and Gracie who was doing an interview and he said, you, they were talking about, um, I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was about like athleticism and Horian was saying like the difference between me and Brock Lesnar is there's only one Brock Lesnar, but if you give me enough time, I can create like 50 more Hori and Gracie's, right? And I thought that was a good way of thinking about jujitsu, right? Like if, if you are a solid instructor and you're passionate and you give to the art, you're your your uh, what you are able to contribute to the art compounds and grows over time because you create students who become teachers and then they have their own students and everyone is going to move forward and advance their game if there are more quality people training so it's it's only a good thing if your students go off and and take their own path and it, to some degree that's inevitable right when people get experienced enough so you have to understand that that's part of running a team you're going to have people who want to create their own teams and 
if you look at that as a threat, you really have the wrong mindset, right? You're part of the the beauty of having a, a good gym culture is that you are encouraging people to kind of grow and expand and take that culture elsewhere and add their own flavor to it. And that's what happens when your students create their own gyms. Yeah. And, and also like to, to talk about, um, you know, for, for those of you that have been at gyms for a few years or you've done jujitsu for a few years, it's really important to, to sort of look and identify is your instructor keeping up with the, uh, the current, the current evolution of jujitsu, because as we know, jujitsu is changing every day. It's changing literally every year. There's a new flavor. There's, there's new positions, new moves, new techniques and concepts that are coming out of, uh, that are coming out of competition and whatnot. So, so if your instructor, you know, I, I don't want to use the word old school because I don't want to shit on, on, uh, guys that have been doing jujitsu for a long time, but if, if your instructor is set in their ways and they have a game and they, they don't really care about too much about studying and continuing their learning in jujitsu, they, they tend to fall stagnant because mm-hmm. jujitsu moves ahead so fast. So having an instructor that has a thirst for knowledge and an eye for new, uh, new upcoming up, like, uh, I guess updates or upgrades, whatever you want to call it, new techniques and, and flavors that, you know, you really want to have an instructor that has that. And it's, it's a super valuable thing especially for a competitor but just to um to stay in the loop because you don't want to go to a school and then everyone's you know doing all these crazy moves or going upside down on you you have no idea what's going on you would like to ideally as a practitioner go to a school where your instructor is always learning and always doing their best to try and pass on that information to their students yeah and this ties into what we were talking about earlier where this is one of the reasons why regardless of your experience you always want to be paying attention to and listening to the younger less experienced people because yeah you might be a super experienced black belt who runs the gym but odds are that 20 year old white belt spends a lot more time googling techniques than you do and (laughs) even if he's not an expert at stuff he might have encountered something that you should at least be aware of um just and and, you know the thing about jujitsu is there's always going to be a new shiny object right there's always going to be a new like reverse avocado guard or something there's always (laughs) going to be some new thing um but you want to be aware of these trends but i I found for me that the best teachers are the ones who expose you to these trends and they tell you what's going on but they always bring it back to the fundamental principles and leave it to you to tie all of the old and the new together Uh, which is one of the things i like about the alignment framework because it does that right there's really nothing in jujitsu that you can't tie back to that and it makes it easier to absorb new things but you know, this another another mental model, and this kind of comes up again in all walks of life. I, whether it be career advice or jujitsu advice, I encourage this across the board. You should always show respect for people, not the positions that they have, right? Just because someone is a black belt doesn't mean that they should immediately be revered. Similarly, at a job, just because someone is a VP or a C-level executive doesn't mean that you should treat them any differently from anyone else. You should challenge their ideas. You should have open conversation. um, You should expect to learn from them and they should expect to learn from you. You should treat people at the individual level and and understand them as an individual rather than labeling them with a, with an hierarchy because that impedes your ability to interact with them, right? It impedes your ability to learn from them and their ability to learn from you. And this can this can be a trap as a gym owner or as an experienced grappler where you you kind of start to see things as like, oh well I've been doing it this way, this all this new stuff, it's all fads. That's and maybe it is, right? But at the end of the day, you need to have a beginner's mind for everything you need to do. You need to approach every situation like you're a total beginner, free of ego, completely humble as if you're seeing things for the first time. There's a reason why white belts learn so rapidly and then and then learning tends to slow down as you get more experienced. It's because when you're a, a white belt, you don't have an ego that tells you, no, I don't need to learn this, right? But once you get a, a little bit more experienced, uh, your ego starts to be offended when something new comes along. So it, it's very important to understand that position and authority is really just a meaningless thing that doesn't reflect the quality of the person behind it and you should always treat those people separately from whatever position they hold yeah we, like we're all white belts and i love how you said you know you have that white belt menta- mentality and that is really i've always tried to have that even when i'm in class even if it's something that i know uh if i'm if i'm 
at someone else's class and they're showing something, I still treat it like I'm a white belt. Like there's something that I can get out of this because, you know, you, only if you have an open eye and that, that white belt mindset, can you absorb the most information? I mean, that is really, that is really what I strive to be as a student. And I, I hope that that's what my students have is, is, you know, not, not so much ego where they're going to shut down and say, oh, I already know this stuff because nobody gains from that. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's important as an instructor, if you see something like that to address it right away with that person and say, Hey, like we don't all know anything, everything. I I'm, I'm just a white belt too. And having mm -hmm. that uh, transparency and vulnerability is contagious. And that is the type of atmosphere in a gym that's healthy. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny. I actually am not a huge fan of the whole belt ranking system because I think it arbitrarily adds this level of authority that only actually takes away from the martial art. I, I kind of envy those martial arts where there just isn't a belt ranking system and you kind of just come in every day and you train and you don't have to worry about levels. I, I think there's an advantage to that in a lot of ways. Um, what, what we were talking about earlier, this is actually something that um, comes from Zen, I believe, the, the concept of beginner's mind, which basically means that Whatever you do in life, you should approach it with the mindset of a total beginner, even if you've been doing it for decades, because you're always going to get more out of it that way if you do. Absolutely. Cool. So I, I hope that was a productive chat. I mean, I'm curious to get everyone's feedback. This is something that we can dig into deeper and talk ad nauseum about, right? I mean, culture and etiquette are subjects that permeate every minute of our training. So please do share any feedback you have if you want to dig a bit deeper. Uh, we've got some questions that we can talk about, some of which are actually related to this. Uh, one of these is very specific and one of these is more high level and open. So to, to start with a specific one, and, and this kind of ties into etiquette, how do you deal with people at the gym who have hygiene issues? No. So this can be, yeah, I know we, we talked about this a bit briefly in a previous episode, but in that episode, we talked about how do you establish hygiene? We didn't talk about how do you break the news to someone that they have a hygiene problem? Cause no, no one ever wants to have that conversation. Yeah. But the reality is people who have hygiene issues, odds are the only reason they have those issues is because they don't know they have those issues. So, because otherwise they would fix them. That's um, right. So this is something that is especially important, I guess, for a gym owner, you know, common hygiene issues. It can be something relatively minor, like someone smells. It can be something a little bit more serious, like this person has like long nails and they're cutting people or it can be really bad. Like this person is training with a disease that's communicable like staff, right? Like, a, so there, there's different levels of this, but but Matt, I mean, as a gym owner, how, what do you think you do in this situation? Like if, if there's someone and you've been getting complaints about them for whatever reason, how do you have that conversation with that person? Well, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to just like bring a, to light uh, Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership. It's, it's a book. It, it, I mean, I'm sure most of you know it, but it's a book where he, uh, him and a guy named Leif Babin, they, they're uh, ex-Marines and they talk about their tours in Iraq and as well as how these concepts that they have uh, to, to promote uh, extreme ownership create really great leaders, not only on the battlefield, but in the business world. Uh, it's a great book. I recommend you check it out. But, but Essentially, it just, what it says is, you know, if something goes wrong and you're you're the head instructor, it's it's not that person's fault. It's your it's your responsibility, right? So if someone if someone comes up to my to me in the gym and ho you know, hopefully I'm not getting multiple people coming up to me in the gym <laughs> yeah. because that means that this problem is probably happening for quite a while and uh, it's been ignored because people are afraid to say something. But if someone if someone approaches me and says, hey, like this guy over here, he's you know he stinks or he's got big nails or whatever, or like you said, even worse, like having staff or ringworm. Um, it, it, honestly, it's, it's, it's not that person's fault. It's not that person's fault because they either weren't taught these concepts of hygiene or they don't know what ringworm is, right? They, they need to be educated on this, right? Like you could look at it and say, oh yeah, this guy's an idiot. He's got staff. He's training with staff. But you could also say, well, he doesn't even know what that is or yeah. he, do he doesn't realize how, how infectious that is and how that affects him and his training partner. I had never even heard of staff until I started training jujitsu. I didn't even know what it was. Right. So, so when you... You know, and people don't think about cutting their nails because for whatever reason, right? Like for, if you've done jujitsu for any amount of time, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, like cut your nails. It makes total sense. But some people just, you know, it's like it's like people you're going to meet in everyday life that lack certain common sense. OK, so so as for me as an as a gym instructor, when someone says that to me, that's my responsibility. That's that's not that person's fault. 
right? They don't know. That's that's my responsibility as a gym owner to go up, bite the bullet and have that uncomfortable conversation and we can all move past it, right? And to also not just not just go up and say, hey, yo, Joe, like, you know, you stink. Like, like <laughs> that's what, what, that's what the hell is wrong? Yeah, yeah, what the hell is wrong with you? You don't cut your nails, you fucking slob. But, but anyways, it's more important for me to approach it from a situation where it's like, hey, I know this is uncomfortable. Like, I have to have this conversation with you for the, for the good of the team. Uh, I'm not mad. This is nothing to be embarrassed about but this is the reality of the situation i'm telling you because it's a danger to your training partners and um overall the the, you know now that now that we know this we we fix the problem and we move on and from now on you know to look out for other people like this and we all gain from this there's nothing to be embarrassed about even if it's something that is embarrassing or off-putting but if you have a respectful conversation and you don't put them down it shouldn't be a problem yeah, yeah, that that's actually a really great way to handle it. And I really like the way that you specifically described each of these steps here. Um, it, what First of all, one thing that you brought up, Extreme Ownership, in addition to being a fantastic book, is also a fantastic mental model. It, it really encourages you to take ownership of everything that happens in your life. Like, it's very easy to to mentally paint yourself as a victim or to blame someone else or to hand off accountability to someone else. Or create excuses. Yeah, or create excuses. But the reality is, regardless of who created the problem, if you don't take ownership of it, you can't fix it. So it's always better to just take ownership of that problem, even if it wasn't something that you started and fix it from there, right? A, a good example I heard regarding extreme ownership is like, look, let's say that you, um, I don't know, let's say that like you, you like a, a dog runs up and bites you, right? Just out of nowhere. Was that your fault? No, it wasn't your fault. Is it your responsibility now? Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, because you have a dog bite on your leg. So it's it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility and you've got to fix that now. Um, but you, And you should think of everything like that. Doesn't matter if it was your fault, make it your responsibility. And and this goes not just for gym owners too, but even for people at the gym. Um, it, you don't have to be the gym owner to demonstrate extreme ownership. One of the great things about this principle is even very, very junior people can demonstrate that level of ownership. And that's a really good way to build up your authority and your experience quickly yeah a few few examples i'd love to touch on like for example you know if if you have your partner in a heel hook or any submission let's say any submission and they don't tap and they they jerk out of that or try to jerk out of that submission in in an un uh unsafe in an unsafe uh, unsophisticated way and and they get hurt like take ownership for that because you were the one applying the submission. And if you're, you know, maybe you didn't know, but if you're the higher rank, it's still your responsibility because you have to have the intuition to let go of that submission and know that that person escaped the wrong way. This is, this is the only way that we can create a a safe environment when we're practicing such dangerous moves and prevent injuries. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, take it for example, if you're a parent, Right. If your if your kid is is uh you know we're both young parents, Steve. If if your kid is playing on the stairs and you're like, oh, my my kid's playing on the stairs, whatever, and then they fall, it's like, oh, you stupid kid, you fell. Like, why'd you do that? You you know you're an idiot. But then you think about, you're like, well, actually, I'm the idiot because I didn't watch my kid. Yeah. And and the extreme ownership. mental model is something that is relatively new to me. Like I just, uh, on your recommendation, I read the book uh, last year for the first time, but being a chef growing up, taking extreme ownership of your station and, and your, your responsibilities, like you come in in the morning and your mise en place isn't set up the night before you the person that did, that took over your station the day before left you in the shit. And now you're playing from behind and all this stuff. And your chef asks you, you know, how, how are you, how's your station looking? If you say, Oh, this person left me in the juice and now I'm, you know, and you make, make, you start complaining. You're not going to be as respected as if you say, I'm good, right? If you have a problem and you need help, take responsibility and say, chef, I need help. I need, I need to do this to be able to achieve the goal. I need to be able to achieve the mission, which is be ready for service and have an awesome service. If you start immediately complaining and say, oh, this person didn't do this, this person that, you don't know what service was like last night. You don't know all the ins and outs, or maybe maybe someone called off and that person had to go do something else. Mm-hmm. So I actually learned extreme ownership through uh, being being in the culinary arts. And I'll tell you right now, it gave me the tools to not only be a responsible leader, but to be able to uh, 
to not have an ego and to be vulnerable enough. And as a leader, that vulnerability will trickle down into your uh, senior students and junior students where they will take ownership for mistakes rather than uh, make excuses. And that's the kind of environment that you want to have uh, as a leader. Yeah, it's if you look at any field, not not just jujitsu, but any field, you'll notice that the people who are star performers or the people who get promoted and advance the fastest are the people who demonstrate extreme ownership, meaning they don't care who started the problem. They're going to finish it. They're going to fix it, right? Those are the people who move the needle in the world. They're the ones who really make the difference. Anyone can complain or pass the buck and pass blame onto someone else, even if that blame is right, rightfully belongs with someone else, but that doesn't help fix the problem. That's right. Um, I, you know, I remember early, early in my career, I, I was really jealous of a guy who kept getting promoted and promoted. And I was like, why, you know, why can't I do that? How come this guy's getting all the opportunities? And only now upon thinking about it, do I realize it was because I wasn't owning things the way that he was. And the fact that I felt that level of jealousy meant that I had a poor attitude, right? And that, that, that in itself is probably a big reason as to why I wasn't the guy at that time was because I didn't have the right mindset. And extreme ownership is a good way to build the the right mindset because it makes you a solutions-focused person rather than a problem-focused person. Yeah, and if you're going to own a school one day or even just have your own business, you have to demonstrate extreme ownership. Jock Willink, definitely check that book out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to tie this back kind of to the original question regarding just, uh, you know, people with hygiene issues, um, extreme ownership in this case, you know, like Matt said, it means being the one to go and, and, and deal with that issue directly. But the thing I like about the way that you explained it is you acknowledged, you know, and this is, this is good advice for any sort of conflict. You didn't just go and broach the news um, or, or blame the person. You never, you never want to make a statement about the character of the person in a, in a situation like this. Like you don't want to be like, dude, you smell or, or dude, you're stinky or you you know, you have poor hygiene. You're making, at that point, you're making like a character judgment. Yeah. It may, Give them something actionable that they can fix that doesn't attack their ego right explain the situation and explain the reason why like explain yeah. hey look you know you're you're keeping your fingernails a little bit long can you clip them because here's why you're going to cut people i know it's not intentional you know um and also don't be afraid to acknowledge the awkwardness of the situation yeah that's, that's like a great point. yeah that's like popping a balloon right like if you everyone knows that it's an awkward conversation but it becomes a lot less awkward if you just kind of laugh and say look i know this is a really awkward conversation i don't want to have it either i'm sorry about this but we've got to do this right immediately the the tension in the room deflates this is a great way to deal with any sort of awkward situation in life um and this one as well it will work as well yeah and you're an ex you know the job that you do you're an expert at uh, resolving conflicts and i think that 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 approach where we can clear the air and say, Hey, that, you know what, this is an awkward situation, but you know what, let's laugh about it. Let's grow. Mm -hmm. Let's just, it's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Okay. Like, and you wouldn't say this, but clearly this person was never taught about these hygienic rules or guidelines. So, you know, make it light, keep it light, laugh it off, and then just get back training as soon as possible. And, and, and then, like I said, they're going to have that eye. And if they see someone else that practices these poor hygienic issues they can identify it right away and either take action themselves which would be ideal for you (laughs) as as the leader or they can come to you and you can have that conversation either way no harm done yeah absolutely so another question and this was more just kind of an open-ended topic uh which i I think is very related to our our episode focus here um bjj drama we were asked to kind of talk about gym drama and and just drama in general in jujitsu um which is a super vague topic it it, It could mean anything it it could mean anything i I think we've probably actually already covered a lot of it like most most of the gym drama i've experienced comes under some category of so and so went and trained at the other guy's gym and now we're mad at him or you know maybe two people within the school have a spat with each other and they're fighting and everyone else is expected to uh, to take sides right um i i've seen this kind of stuff and honestly i've left gyms because of this kind of stuff um I don't pay a significant amount of money every month to train jujitsu to have to deal with high school drama, right? I have no patience for that. If my, my only advice that I can give is if you are in a situation like this where this is a, uh, just like, it, it's like a character issue of your gym. It's not like a one-off thing where it's like a temporary spat between two people, but this is like basically a feature of the school that you're at. 
find a different school, right? I mean, yeah. life is too short to be dealing with that kind of stuff. You're supposed to outgrow it at high school. Um, we've talked so much today about mindsets and culture, and I, I want to keep talking about mindsets in future episodes. If you are in a gym where that kind of drama is going on, you've already violated several of the mental models we talked about earlier. You know, you, you violated the golden rule. You violated the principle of psychological safety. Um, but, but you know, there's a, there's another thing, too. I, I don't know to what extent you would call this a mental model, but we've all heard, um, you know, keep it playful is a, is a common phrase in jiu-jitsu. I think it was Henry Gracie who kind of started that whole thing. Yeah. Um, it, that kind of simultaneously means nothing and means everything at the same time. Like if, if you're not having fun doing jujitsu, why are you doing it, right? At the end of the day, regardless of what your goal in jujitsu is, whether you want to win medals or open a gym or just stay in shape and meet people, it's got to be fun. And if your gym or your situation has a ton of personal drama you need to consider whether it's really the best situation for you. The nice thing about jiu-jitsu is that in most major cities, you've got other places to train. So all I can suggest is if, if it's a small issue where it's just one or two people, you can maybe have the conflict conversation that we had earlier. You can talk to them individually and kind of tell them about the impact that their drama is having on you. But if it's a systemic problem with your whole school, my only advice would be, you know, life is too short to be paying money to train at a gym you hate. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think I can add too much onto that. I think you've made some really great points. Uh, like Steve said, we're we're fortunate right now to be in a time where jujitsu is becoming so popular and uh, it's exploding, right? Like in most big cities, there's going to be multiple gyms. Guys, don't be afraid to try different gyms. And also, um, like you said, it violates those mental models if it's a systemic thing. But also, it, it'll show that your instructor either A, doesn't care, or that B, he lacks extreme ownership. And if your instructor lacks extreme ownership, Ownership, um, that basically says I don't care. It yeah, basically yeah. just says, you know, well, you guys are just going to be left to your own devices and I'm just going to teach my class and I really don't care what happens. And if you have these types of conflicts in the gym, uh, it's it's uncomfortable, right? Like we always say in jiu-jitsu, you want to become comfortable in uncomfortable positions. That doesn't mean unnecessary uncomfortable positions. <laughs> you, you know, like some uncomfortable positions you can't avoid because someone's bigger or stronger or better than you. But in terms of uh, gym culture and people actually being angry at each other um that's your that's your instructor's responsibility to have those talks and if those people honestly can't sort things out they both gotta go you know yeah yeah jujitsu should ultimately be a positive impact on your life if it's not a positive impact on your life find somewhere else to train that's really the best advice i can give on the topic absolutely but make sure guys go train yeah go train especially at on guard or ascension <laughs> if you're in the vancouver area <laughs> that's right and and uh you know, definitely have, if you have any questions or, or things that, that you want to bounce off, uh, off your instructor, go ahead and ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Like I'll tell you right now, as an instructor, I love when people ask me questions. I can't get enough questions. Yeah. Okay. As an instructor, true instructors love getting asked questions. They love having their ideas challenged mm -hmm. and that's really how you grow. Yeah. At a high level, I, I find that the more experienced I get, the less I learn from like individual techniques and the more I learn from teaching to other people because if you want to teach something you've got to really think about it and you've got to kind of think about it from a different angle from the, from what you normally would and I find sometimes the best insights I have from jujitsu come from me explaining something to someone else and then I just spontaneously realize something while I'm talking right very true very true Got it. Well, that covers all we wanted to talk about today. Hopefully this was a great episode. Um, we're going to have a lot more like this in the future, I think. We're going to be taking a, a bit of a detour and talking about a lot of social and psychological topics over the next few episodes. So hope you enjoyed this. Hope this was helpful. Yeah. And guys, keep the feedback coming. If you have questions, send them to myself or Steve. Uh, we really appreciate all the support. Thank you so much for all the positive feedback we've had so far. Keep the questions coming and stay safe. Go train, guys. You too. Take care, guys. And again, life is too short to train at a gym you don't like. So find a gym that's right for you.